All right, folks, this is Rebel Rousing Rich Bergeron. Take two, it's the Tornado Tony Pentacam. And Psychic Tom with his reliable, trusty crystal ball, shine and ready to predict. All right, we got a lot of stuff to uh, predict for coming weekend. Big fights coming up. Lots of news to cover as well. Uh, we have a, a great guest tonight, Eric Souza. He's a kickboxer looking to, uh, actually kickboxer and Muay Thai fighter, looking to get into MMA. He has a 9-3 uh, and three record, I believe. Let me get it up in front of me for a second here. Yeah, nine wins, three losses, three draws. He started boxing and Thai boxing at the age of 19, and uh, he's been fighting officially since the age of 20. He's 25 now from Rotterdam in the Netherlands. And... Um, he said uh, he started doing mixed martial arts last year on a regular basis in addition to his uh, Thai boxing training. And uh, he, he wants to step in the cage, uh, possibly do both at the same time, but um, eventually maybe just narrow it down to one. Um, but uh, he's got April 24th fight coming up, a uh, day after the UFC fight there between uh, John Jones and now OSP instead of uh, Daniel Cormier. Tom didn't tell us last week that uh, Cormier was going to pull out. <laughs> so we uh, we had to find it out from the news. But anyway, um, he also has a June 4th K-1 fight. Both of those, April 24th and June 4th, are K-1 fights. Um, that card is still pending. And then October 30th already he has one lined up as well. Another K-1 fight. And uh, he's working on, right now, arranging his first MMA fight. So we'll have him on at uh, the next hour of the show. And uh, while we're waiting for him, we got uh, a whole lot of stuff to cover, including uh, the first death in mixed martial arts uh, as far as official big promotions. It's confirmed the first, first death was Dada 5000. He said he died twice during the fight. Yeah. Uh, and he had yeah, kidney failure. We knew about that. But he's claiming he died twice, had two, two heart attacks. But he still says he's coming back. I don't know. If that happened to me, I don't think I'd be talking about coming back to fighting. You know, he, he actually said he trained hard for that fight. Yeah, that's the other part. How do you train hard when you got 40 pounds to lose 48 hours before the fight? I don't know. Doesn't make sense. But, um, yeah, that was uh, something he put out on Instagram. Supposedly he's going to be having a uh, very big interview coming up about this to, to really fully discuss it. Doesn't sound like he blames anybody, though. That's kind of the most interesting part to me. It's not like he uh, points the finger at anybody or uh, uh, <clears throat> acts like, uh, you know, someone else uh, caused it to be that bad. He also said he broke his orbital bone, too. So that's kind of funny, considering the fact that Kimbo was throwing pretty weak punches at the end. I don't know, the beginning of the fight, really, uh, if he landed anything huge, but takes a lot of force to uh, break your orbital bone like that so we'll see what happens with him but uh, yeah that's one of the big stories this week is he's come out and uh, done his first interview and uh, he didn't reveal the exact number of the cost but uh, I can imagine that he's talking about getting back into fighting again because he needs the money now <laughs> I don't yeah. think uh, Bellator's footing that hospital bill uh, and he's actually still recovering he's still uh, you know, doing therapy and stuff in the hospital, so. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, another fighter, um, Yoel Romero, just got his uh, suspension reduced for um, 
testing positive for a prohibited substance. It was out of competition test. Uh, he got bagged, and now um, you know the tainted supplement defense has been used time and time again. Oh, my, my supplements were t tainted. The last case where I heard it was a legitimate uh, argument, and it, there was proof, was uh, Sean Shirk, and it happened to be Tide Designs, of course, uh, saying one of his uh, Zions products was tainted. And then, lo and behold, a couple weeks after I heard about this, I went to a GNC, and they told me they had pulled that product off the shelves, and there was no explanation for why they did. So he had c complained that that product had been tainted a couple weeks before that, so... Maybe they either had to take it off uh, to check it, or you know they knew in the beginning that it was uh, a bad product that, that had that stuff in there, whatever it was. But in this case, uh, it sounds like there actually not only is a legitimate claim here, but there could be a lawsuit developing out of it because um, in this situation, the reason, one of the reasons why the uh, suspension was lowered. I think it was a one year or more suspension originally. It was changed to six months. Uh, even if he's not at fault, uh, you know, it's a no tolerance policy. So they have to give him some kind of punishment. But obviously this affects his career. It affects his reputation. And I don't think a lot of people are aware that there's a legitimate claim that, uh, you know, contaminated supplement. But uh, he basically provided the USADA... Uh, with access to the dietary supplement products he was using at the time of his sample collection. And uh, the uh, substance he tested positive for was something called uh, Ibutamorin. I don't know what the hell it's supposed to do. But it wasn't listed on any of the labels. Um, but uh, preliminary testing conducted on one of the products indicated that it did contain that prohibited substance. Um, so that's contamination, obviously. Um, but... You know, is yeah, it Rich, Rich, uh, do you know what the product was that contained it? Did it mention that? Uh, I don't think they want to mention it because, uh, you know, it's going to obviously become public in the lawsuit, but I don't think uh, I don't think they wanted to blast it out there for whatever reason, the WADA or the USADA. Um, but uh, at the USADA's request, the World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, um, had their laboratory in Salt Lake City independently obtain this product and analyzed it. So they didn't get it from Yul Romero. They got it from the company. And then they mm. tested you know, a completely different bottle of shit. And it's, hey, it's positive. Contaminated. Uh, so how does that happen? I don't know. I mean, it depends on what the heck this ibutamorin is. Does it naturally occur? Is it, uh, is it a fungus? I don't know. So, well, I never heard of it. Yeah, I never heard of it either, and I don't know why it's banned. It, this article doesn't really explain that. But um, there's some stuff back and forth on Twitter. Um, this guy that represents Yoel Romero, Malki Kawa, said uh, legal action is in process against this supplement manufacturer. He said Yoel did not cheat and didn't know, knowingly take anything. I'm not sure where this supplement thing is not clear. USADA independently tested a bottle directly from the manufacturer and it was tainted. So, um, obviously, this lawsuit could have a very strong prospect for success. And supplement companies do sell their products to athletes, many of, who, many of them who compete in sports that are subject to this testing. So, this could, uh, doesn't say it outright here in this article, which I'm surprised because it's supposed to be a, a freaking blog written by a lawyer. <laughs> But, uh, you know, lawsuit is one thing, but class action 
could be happening here. It's, it's one thing that they do not mention. That is, so it seems obvious to me. It would have to be a class action because how does just one guy sue over it when obviously, you know, if this is a product that a lot of athletes use, they're all going to get bagged eventually um, if they're tested. So I would think it had to affect at least, in, you know, a few other people. Um, also, in the news, mixed martial arts news, Nisha Tate. Not only did she sign a new deal with the UFC, she's got a new fight coming up already. UFC 200 just got a little bigger. Um, but uh, there's there's some background to this one, too, that's kind of interesting. Um, although I did like, uh, it was the uh, New York Daily News today had a headline about uh, Ted Cruz, take the FU train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe they should change it to the FNU train. No. <laughs> That's like he was unlimited. No. But uh, right. they had a, uh, a big article in there today about uh, Holly Holmes being punished. That's why Misha Tate is getting this fight now with uh, Amanda Nunes. Uh, which to me, they actually, not only is it not true, they debunked that in the story by saying it's Misha's choice here, which is why this fight is happening. So how do you have a headline and a premise to your story that you disprove in the body of the story? It's the kind of thing like Kevin Ioli uh, last week with our Cops episode where I went off on him for defending the, uh, you know, the fighter there, John Jones, against the cop when John Jones was obviously in the wrong and acting like an asshole. Now you got another guy with a big job for a newspaper in a big city writing a story in a headline that makes no sense at all. Makes no sense. Never should have even been written. I just wonder sometimes how these people even get jobs. How do you get that job? And you're that dumb. Well, who, where, where's the editor at? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. How, how do people get away with that? But uh, Holly actually wanted to fight Misha, obviously. She wants to avenge her loss. She wants the belt back. back and... Um, this guy goes out there and says because she spoke out against Dana White and pissed him off, that's why she didn't get the fight. But then he also adds, well, yeah, well, Misha chose his fight. She chose the weaker opponent, basically, is what uh, what they framed it as. Uh, and uh, Holly obviously wasn't too happy about it, but, um, you know, you have to think about it through Misha's perspective. She's got the belt, finally. She's waited so long to get this opportunity to get the belt. She had the hardest fight of her life, other than all those fights against Ronda to get it back or to get it in the first place because she, she didn't have it since she, the only belt she had was Strike Force. She hasn't had a UFC belt yet until now. So she gets the belt and obviously this new contract had to be just as good as Holly's if not better. And what did Holly get just to show? 500 grand for the last fight. Why would you want to fight Holly with the, with the very real chance of losing again when you can pick another opponent, win, and then keep up keep up that uh, fight purse. Because if you think about it, it's probably going to be less if she's not the champion. I don't know how that works, but I know the UFC has all these championship clauses. So um, I would imagine that if she's not the belt holder, her f per fight pay is going to go down. Because you know when she went into that fight against Holly Holmes, she got 46000 to show and 46000 to win. Not including bonuses, of course. Ninety-two grand to Holly Holmes, five hundred grand, just to lose. Um, so, to me, that just makes all the sense in the world for Misha to say, "Well, you know, I just won the belt. It was a grueling fight. It's not that she's taking a, a pushover, but 
she's taking a fight that she knows she has a better chance of winning because she wants the belt a lot longer. Uh, and she does want to, I think, give uh, Ronda Rousey the shot before Holly Holm. And, and I think that another part of it has to be that she probably has a way more respect and admiration for Holly Holm than she has for Ronda Rousey. Even though she did give her give Ronda some compliments saying she was the greatest fighter uh, while she was fighting. So uh, it just kind of makes me shake my head, though. I mean, I'd, I'm going to be the first one to, in line to criticize Dana White, any possibility I can get, but... <laughs> To say that Misha Tate's choice to fight Amanda Nunes was retaliation for Holly Holm speaking out. I mean, it's just dumb. Just dumb. And, and these people have big jobs and get paid big money. I don't understand it. <clears throat> but that's, that's the way it is. Uh, <clears throat> so she's going to fight Amanda Nunes uh, at UFC 200. She's 18-5. and five. She's on a five-fight winning streak. And uh, Tate's... Uh, Obviously lost both of the fights with Ronda. And Ronda is still, you know, she's supposedly expected to return uh, November or December this year. But, you know, there's nothing really set in stone that this fight is going to happen. So, it's going to be interesting to see if uh, if uh, Amanda Nunes can manage the upset if Dana White comes out after her and says, Well, uh, Misha should have waited. <laughs> Maybe he's learned his lessons. Maybe he won't. And the other interesting thing is, you know, um, you know, obviously Misha's, you know, the, the top dog right now. But then you also got to think, you know, with, with Ronda Rousey, it's like, what happens to her when she comes back? You know, does she have, um, like, the Jerry Cooney syndrome? Where, you know, Cooney was a, a path of destruction until he got, you know, beat up by Larry Holmes. You know, he didn't just lose the fight. He got beat up, and I don't think he ever won a fight after that. I know he got stopped by Spinks in five rounds. You know, so he went 13 rounds at Holmes, got stopped, got beat up, went only five rounds with Spinks, Michael Spinks, and then he left again for, you know, by a good five years. He came back, and he lasted two rounds with George Foreman, and he got, you know, uh, annihilated. So is well, that going to happen? Well, yeah. You remember, Tony, he, uh, I think his first fight back, he fought a gentleman named Phil Brown. And okay. Him. And then he had another fight with a gentleman, I believe, I'm going by pure memory now, George uh, Chaplin, uh, Chaplin uh, who was okay. also a part-time uh, part mailman. Right. <laughs> so he did have, okay. uh, to, be, to be fair, he had two, but also these were not, I would think it would be a stretch to call them top 10 guys, even with the alphabet soups. Maybe maybe right. like top 20. So, you know, the kind of guys that you knew he was going to win. Right. You know, gonna, uh, but, but, yeah, I, I, your point's well taken, because I think there was a lot of psychological damage. Had Holmes just beat him by decision, maybe, it wouldn't have been so bad, but getting knocked down in the second round changed a lot. And then actually being stopped, yeah, that's... Um, right. That was just devastating for his career. Uh, and, I'm to, and I'll give you another prime example um, of a fighter that that happened to was uh, Edison Miranda. Edison Miranda, you know, he had his first loss to Arthur Abraham by this, um, it might have been a decision or a disqualification, but that was a fight where, you know, Miranda had like five points deducted. and But he broke Abraham's jaw, you know, illegally with like a headbutt or something, but he broke his jaw, 
uh, having five points deducted. Abraham either won by DQ or decision. I think it was decision because of all the, the point um, deductions. But then Miranda was set to fight Kelly Pavlik. And, you know, everybody, you know, brother is saying, you know, he's, to Pavlik's like, I'm going to walk to him. And it's like, that's a suicide mission. I remember even right, I didn't write a preview as in depth uh, like I do now. And unfortunately, I didn't get the right one this week because of uh, my schedule. Um, but I remember saying, like, Pavlik, you know, if he tries to walk to him, it's going to be like walking right into, like, a machine gun. And it's going to be fun while it lasts, but unfortunately, I don't think it's going to last very long. And Pavlik did just what he said he was going to do. He walked to him, he backed him up. He took his confidence, he took his heart, he knocks him out. It's like, oh, shit. And then it was like Miranda was, like, never the same. And I think his only... Right. Discretion loss after that might have been like Andre Ward, like outpointed him, winning like every round. But everybody else was knocking him out. I think Lucien Butane knocked him out. Um, um, a couple other guys. Um, Abraham, they fought in a rematch. Abraham stopped him, you know, and he was doing good in that fight. And as soon as Abraham hit him, it was like, boom, you know, <laughs> timber. You know, it was like, it's that. It's like, oh, Miranda got knocked out again. Not oh, Miranda got knocked out again. And it always reminded me of the story my dad told me when he was, you know, young, like a young teenager. There was a guy moved in the neighborhood, and everybody was afraid of him, you know, because he was supposed to be real bad. And by, you know, chance, <laughs> the guy's name, they called him Jersey Joe. So my dad ended up, I guess, being a part of Rocky Marciano because, you know, they, um, one day it was like, okay, somebody's got to take on this guy, Jersey Joe. And my dad, and they picked it to be my dad, and my dad was scared, you know, I got to fight this badass dude. My dad went out there and he, and he threw a jab out, and the guy buckled. He's like, "This guy ain't shit," and he tuned him up. And then it was everybody wanted to tune him up, hmm. but somebody had to be the first. Yep, yep. Yeah, and and Miranda, I mean, he, everyone was saying maybe he was a middleweight, but he hit it like a heavyweight. I mean, he was just pretty much unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned Kelly Pavlik, too, because uh, I don't know if we ever got to it. Uh, I, ha I had it in my notes a couple of weeks ago that uh, he was busted. Uh, he's in trouble now for uh, fighting with a pellet gun, I guess. His new, his new weapon oh, of choice. <laughs> Shot somebody with a pellet gun, and now, now he's uh, facing more legal trouble. You know? As if the drinking stuff wasn't bad enough. Yikes. That's bad story. Damn. I mean, it's, just, it's just hard to believe when you hear stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, uh, it just eludes me. I don't even have words for it. I mean, that guy just had the world on a string. And I remember when I went to Youngstown to watch him, and that town was, I mean, it wasn't quite uh, like a Mancini frenzy, but um, damn close to it. Yeah. So I mean, working on Mancini, I remember well, he watching like, some of his fights on TV, and even when he fought in Atlantic City, he had popularity there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the night that he won the title, we had a, a big contingent of town fans go there. I mean, uh, there people were very passionate about their boxing in that town. Awful story. Yeah, I got to send you the preview I wrote on that one. I'm sure it's still on um, Fighting is Unlimited. And if not, I'm sure I have the word document somewhere. But I took a lot of heat when I picked Pavel to uh, knock Taylor out. <laughs> and I think I was on left by one round. I think I picked the eighth round. Yeah. And he was like, oh, you're crazy. And I'm like, well, maybe I am. But at the same time, I'm seeing the fight before that. I'm seeing Pavlik walk to and through Edison Miranda. I'm seeing Taylor 
play cautious against Corey Spinks. The guy's gun shy. And I said, and he doesn't have the killer instinct anymore. And I said, that's going to cost him because Pavlik is going to come to him and he's going to run right through him. And he had to get off the canvas, but lo and behold, that's what he did. Wow. That gives me a great transition here because you said killer instinct. And speaking of killer instinct, I'm going to paraphrase Dana White here and say, do you want to be a fucking Navy SEAL? <laughs> because uh, Navy SEALs are in the news. Uh, a guy from California, Representative Duncan Hunter, Republican, uh, he's pissed off because the uh, Navy SEALs have adopted mixed martial arts training as opposed to something called close quarters defense, which is what they've been using for decades, I guess. And uh, these younger guys in the uh, Navy SEALs are defending it while some of the uh, older guys on their way out are, are wondering why this is happening and blaming it on uh, some insiders who are benefiting from these government contracts because apparently the biggest beef is over money. And, you know, um, it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, times you hear about pork in the government, you know, just contracts get, there's no bid contracts and, you know, the people that are connected get it. These, these are guys within the group of Navy SEALs who, who made this decision. It's not like uh, somebody in the White House said, oh, yeah, we need to go to MMA to, to hook up my buddy or some uh, politician somewhere said, yeah, I'm going to hook up my buddy, the MMA trainer here and, and give him this contract. These, these are guys within the SEALs who uh, came up with this decision. But uh, it was developed in the 1980s, the CQD, Close Quarters Defense, by a guy named Dwayne Dieter, whose background was in martial arts at the time, and uh, adopted by the Navy SEALs in 1989. And then uh, the Secret Service, Drug Enforcement Agency, and other government organizations have also used that same training. But in 2011, they went in another direction with the SEALs, and uh, they awarded one of their combatives training contracts to a company called Lynx Global Solutions, which has a mixed martial arts academy in Virginia Beach. And it's actually led by a rear admiral, Tim Szymanski, according to an official with knowledge of the memo, who did not speak on the record. Uh, and... Uh, the allegation is that this rear admiral is directly related to the selection process. Uh, which is a lot different to me than the politician who's getting lobbied by people. <laughs> this is a rear admiral, you know. So anyway. Um, well, you know, though, I, as I mentioned to you, this Duncan Hunter guy, Duncan Hunter, um, he's not an old guy. I mean, I, I could... I could I could picture some someone my age or something that that just was had been clueless for decades, but but this guy, born nineteen seventy six, he's an Iraq combat veteran. He should know better. Right. I I, I don't get it. And uh, the big controversy, I think, is uh, on average the cost to the Navy SEALs for CQD was three hundred and forty five bucks per SEAL, compared to two thousand nine hundred dollars per SEAL for MMA training. Uh, but, yeah, the wonder, I mean, anybody who wants to support the military would say, no matter what the cost, we want the guy to be uh, best equipped for, for what he needs uh, in combat. Well, it's just, yeah, you just want to hope it never gets to that stage on the battlefield. Right, and as, uh, uh, obviously as, CQD... As I was talking to you about, uh, you know, some of our hand-to-hand -hand combat training in uh, July and August of 1968, Joe Sargent told us, don't try this in a bar, you'll get killed. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and um, 2900 bucks might seem like a lot, but, uh, you know, if it's a matter of life and death in a close quarters fight, you want to go with the antiquated system or you want to go with the system that's still evolving? Uh, well, we want to know, we, we want to go with what works, what's been proven to work. Right. And make sure that boxing's a part of it, too. Yeah, make it MMA-oriented with good boxing training. I mean, this other stuff is, I don't mean to knock anything, but come on. Where's it been tested at? And my best, uh, or my favorite quote in the whole article is um, a SEAL named Joel Lambert talking to the Navy Times. And he says, my opinion is that politicians should stay out of the business of the SEAL teams and let the boys determine what they want and need. <laughs> so uh, okay. he's also said uh, the sled dogs and senior enlisted have been allowed to make the calls about what's best for team training and development. And that's gotten the SEALs to where they are today. So. I think they know what's best for themselves, even if it costs more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of all, of all programs, I mean, uh, it's no pun intended. That's, that's an easy program to defend over some of the other wastes of federal government spending that we've seen yeah, over it, the years. Exactly. Putting a but fucking I mean, shrimp on a treadmill is not, uh, <laughs> not a good idea to me. Well, it's just kind of an obscenity if we're going to be pen penny pinching when we send uh, send people off to those situations. Give them everything they, they need, everything that could help. And uh, of course, another great transition here from uh, using your training in the, in the military to uh, using your training in the private sector. Uh, Patterson, New Jersey. We have uh, last week was cops. This week is heroes. I guess. <laughs> Uh, a mixed martial arts fighter out in uh, New Jersey helped rescue a bunch of people trapped inside a home that was on fire. And uh, uh, this guy said, uh, was told that you're probably not going to be able to last more than 40 seconds in there. That smoke is going to kill you. And then psh, you just went in. Uh, and he ran into the house, saved at least half a dozen people while the house was burning and filled with smoke. And he just basically covered his nose and mouth with his shirt and ran in there, kicked down doors, screamed for people to get out, went all the way up to the attic to get one guy who was asleep at the time. So he had to wake the guy up and then get him out. Um, he said, uh, knocked the door down, found two beds, one to the left, one to the right, with a man in his underwear, and yelled at him, fire, fire, fire. He was knocked out. He didn't know what was going on. So he basically put the guy over his shoulder and ran out the house. And, uh, of course, the neighbors all said he's a hero. And uh, he said, it's the best feeling, uh, it is the best feeling that I saved and I was there to help out, help those people out. I can't explain the way I feel, to be honest. I have never felt that way. And he now wants to get dedicate his life to serving others. So maybe he can volunteer to train the Navy SEALs. <laughs> uh, good stuff there. That's the good stuff for this week. And, of course, the big uh, happy news in the boxing world is uh, a U.K. fighter named uh, Nick Blackwell just emerged from his coma after being defeated by Chris Eubank Jr., was smiling, gave a thumbs up in the hospital, and uh, swelling on the eye has also gone down. But uh, 25 years old, just suffered uh, the, the defeat there. After the defeat, he had uh, bleeding on his skull. And he actually spoke his first words on Sunday after being in a coma for almost a week. 
He looks pretty now, decent. I wonder, if he'll, I wonder if he'll ever get his license back or if he'll want it. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. It does he want it. Yeah, I hope not. But he's 25 years old, you know. It's tough, tough to make that call after you've, you know, taken all those steps to get there and then one bad fight and hang it up. But, you know, it is a big scare, so I don't know. It's a tough call. Yeah, you know, bleeding in the brain like that, and they had to do a surgery like that and put you in a coma. Um, I, I, I don't First of all, I don't think you should be fighting. Um, secondly, you should be happy you're alive. Third of all, whoever licensed you, you know, could have you passed any medical clearance. It's ridiculous. Now, didn't we have a Buffalo heavyweight back in the late 90s, Joe Messi? Remember that story? Joe Messi. Well, I think with Joe, um, he was fighting, oh, I remember the fight, too. I forget who he was going against. Um, and he was, you know, doing so well, then, like, then he got, like, knocked down, and he really seemed like he fatigued really bad. And he held on, and I forget if he got the decision or if it was a draw. I don't remember for sure. But he definitely was taking the worst of it at the end. But he wasn't a, he like I remember they were saying like he had like a small brain bleed, but he never went into like an emergency surgery like that. And he never went into a coma. And he may have fought again, maybe like one or two more times, but that pretty much ended his career. And I mean I'll have to look into that more in depth. But he was one like he never fully went, um, you know, into the critical stages like a lot of these other guys have. Um, there's another fight I remember, and the only reason I remember watching this fight was it was the same night as Mike Tyson Andrew Galata. This was back in, like, 1999 or 2000, because I was still living down in Glenside at the time. And um, Tyson was fighting Galata, and it was on a Friday night. And there was a sports bar about three or four miles from my house that used to have a lot of the fights. I remember watching Lennox Lewis and Michael Grant there. I remember watching Lewis and uh, David Tua there. Um, and we went down there that night, me and my dad, hoping that the Tyson fight would be on Tyson and Galata. So we get down there, and the fight's not on. So we had the, they had the ESPN broadcast on, and I'll never forget, it was a young Italian kid by the name of Bobby Tomasella. And, you know, Bobby, good, you know, young fighter, Italian kid, you know, kind of had like a Ralph Macchio kind of look to him, you know. And he was fighting um, a kid from, I think it was Ghana, um, Steve Datsa, maybe. Not 100% sure on the fighter's name he was fighting. And once again, Bobby was doing very well early. And then as the fight was progressing, you could see him badly fatiguing, badly fatiguing. And it was like to the point where the fight honestly should have been stopped, you know, but they let him go out for the last round and he took, I know, a, a good bit of punishment in that round. He lasted the distance. Everybody knows his opponent won this fight. It's called a draw, you know, terrible decision. It's called a draw. Um, and Bobby Tomasello went back to the dressing room. He collapsed and he went into a coma and eventually, you know, succumbed passed away um with joe messi i don't think it was ever that advanced yeah i remember joe was uh licensed by uh west virginia he got had a fight down there 
Yeah, turn over state yeah. with um, your permission. Yeah, and then he, he fought a guy from my hometown, George, and, uh, you know, I wrote about the guy in Pro Boxing Update. Uh, he was the nickname was the Terminator, and he stopped George in the second round. George is oh, yeah. there with uh, Butter, Butterbean. I remember. Yeah, I, I know you're talking about. Because um, I remember the guy's name Terminator. I'm sorry? Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. Um, because I remember his nickname being the Terminator, and, and you're right, yeah, he did George, fight Butterbean. I, I, I can't believe I'm forgetting his last name. I've wrote about the guy before. Oh, man. I haven't seen all in my old age, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, he got, uh, he was licensed, and, and I believe shortly after that, Tommy Morrison was licensed in West Virginia. He said his age was yeah, uh, exactly. no more. And, yeah, uh, that was going to bring that up as well. Yeah, that got some real scandals about the West Virginia Athletic, um, um, <laughs> about their stringent uh, hurdles to climb to get licensed there. God, just show up. Wow. Yeah, actually, at that point, Tommy Morrison's manager actually um, put a comment on our blog about that. And I put a, an article out on unlimitedfightnews.com about that whole thing. It was kind of uh, interesting. But uh, this... And, and and Tom, the guy's name was George Lindberger. That, that's it. Like like cheese. <laughs> How did I forget that? Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I ran into him at a local golf course. Uh, and I, you know, I'd met him a few times. I'd covered a few of his events here. He was, uh, he was an entertaining guy locally. But just uh, every time he stepped up, uh, uh, like he fought uh, uh, a valor, you know, the, the giant Russian. And that lasted a lot. Yeah, yeah, and then he, um, maybe he fought him, and then he also, the first time he fought Butterbean, that lasted, I think, less than a minute. So it seems right. like every time he'd step up, um, you know, great guy, all the guts in the world, but sometimes if you just don't have the talent. Right. I remember talking about poor commissions. I remember there was a fight, and they put him on USA flights a couple times, and he was a journeyman, you know, nothing more. But he used to get some notoriety, and they put him on USA a couple times just because he had so many fights. His name was Buck Smith. Um, he was from down in, like, Louisiana. And he used to fight a lot on that Midwest circuit. And what he would do is, like, he would fight under aliases, and he would fight, like, sometimes, like, three times in, like, a day. He'd fight, like, a card in, like, he'd fight, like, a card in Arkansas and like, say, like, like, early afternoon, jump in the car, and then he'd drive, like, you know, a couple hours or whatever, get there, weigh in, jump in the ring, take another fight. Um, and, you know, he had, like, over 100 and some wins. But they were, again, mostly, like, very poor competition with, you know, guys that, you know, were just guys off the street almost, you know, coming in the ring in, like, basketball shorts and sneakers. And then, the but then whenever out. he steps up against anybody within the top 20, he was generally getting beat up pretty good. I don't think he ever fought for a world title. Um, he was never even that high of a quality caliber guy, but they would always talk like, "Oh," and 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 I remember even like Sean O'Grady and Al Albert were like saying, "Like, oh my God!" And they were talking about his exploits where he's like, it's, and he would fully admit it in the interviews, like, "Yeah, I go here, I I'll, I'll compete, you know, and I'll use this name, and then I'll go back, and then I'll go this like fight at a carnival somewhere," and you know, I'm like, "That's really not good." Well, that's that's showing no fear of any athletic commission. Yeah, uh, really? That's like telling the police department, yeah, I'm coming to town and I'm going to rob this store, break into this place. Jeez. 
Yeah. Buck, Buck Smith. What? Yeah. I have to look him up. He had like over 100 wins. Um, he had like 200 and some fights. Now, here's a perfect example from my experience in Philadelphia. I had a guy, and you probably heard me talk about him on the air a couple times, a guy who was a friend of mine, a sparring partner. His name was Byron Jones. We all called him Bam Bam. He was like, he and I were like a clone of each other. Short, stocky, very physical, you know, hard puncher, uh, you know, in-your-face kind of guy. So we used to spar, we used to beat the hell out of each other. But I loved him. He passed away a couple years ago. I hadn't seen him in years and we were at a car that I was covering in Philadelphia, and I saw a thick, stocky guy um, in a yellow sweater. Who wears a yellow sweater? And I said, well, look at that guy in the yellow sweater. God, he looks so familiar. And then fights were over. We all leave. And then a couple of weeks later, another mutual friend of ours put on Facebook, hey, I'm sad to announce the death of a good friend and training partner of mine, mine Byron Bam Bam Jones, and there's his picture in the yellow sweater. And I felt so bad because a good friend of mine was only 20 feet away and we didn't recognize each other because we hadn't seen each other in so long. But the one time he was getting ready for a pro fight. And I remember when the trainer had brought the contract to the gym and he, he, cause he had, he had two names, Byron Wise and Byron Jones. And I saw the contract that day and I saw that he had the name Jones on there. Now, my dad didn't know that. So now we get to the weigh-in, and the guy was like, who are you here with? And my dad's like, shit, I don't know what name he's going by. My dad's like, oh, we're here with Bam Bam. The guy's like, what's his name? And I was like, Byron Jones. And my dad's like, oh. he elbowed me. He goes, are you sure? I said, yeah, Dad, I saw the contract. Hmm. Yeah. Sucks. Well, in the uh, Nick Blackwell case, actually, it's kind of interesting. The father of Eubanks, uh, Jr., the senior, is obviously is a fighter himself, too. Uh, not only did he have a similar situation in his own career, but he said that he was banging on the, uh, I didn't say, but it's been reported that he was banging on the ring apron, trying to get the ref's attention, trying to get him to stop the fight with Blackwell before it did get stopped. And then uh, he not only did that, but he told his fighter, his son, to go for the guy's body rather than hit yeah. him in the head. Uh, and it, there was something from his career where he had fought a guy who was in a coma for 40 days after their fight. Wow. So it just goes to show you, you know, it's talk about last week we talked a lot about sportsmanship. That's prime example of good sportsmanship there. It's not, it's not worth... Um, hurting a guy for life just to get a win. I don't know. You know, you need more people like that as referees who who have been through that type of stuff and know what it's like uh, when another guy ends up, uh, you know, being hospitalized or near death or dead because of uh, the fight not getting stopped early enough. <clears throat> but we also have a uh, big UFC event coming up. Uh, some results and upcoming boxing matches to talk about. Before we get our guest on the show of course the big fight last week was uh, one of the first boxing matches i actually watched from bell to bell in a long time adrian broner um i thought a pretty decent fight i thought um you know it was just perfect matchup for him though it wasn't really like uh you know the guy was anything uh that could really challenge him at any point but um 
He also turned himself in the next day for the uh, alleged incident there with the bowling for dollars situation. <laughs> How much was his bail? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny, though. He tweeted out a picture of himself getting out, and, and he, he was actually surprised that they let him out. <laughs> he thought he was going to be know, in there for a while. Yeah, that, that fight was an example. If you know your opponent can't hurt you, then it somehow morphs into a, a glorified sparring session. Right. That if you yeah. feel a little better, and and you could tell that Broner just did not have to exert any energy because there was talk about all the weight that he lost, and if there'd be a problem with cardio later. But again, if you if it's a sparring match, um, the cardio wasn't a factor. But how about that Easter Junior? That was pretty interesting. I didn't catch that yeah. part of the card. Yeah, the, well, the the uh, two prelim fights had a couple um, uh, couple good knockout artists. We'll see them down the road. Yeah, by the time I tuned in, it was uh, main event time, so I didn't watch any of the other ones. But uh, I did think it was uh, a very interesting the way that uh, Broner was throwing his uppercut. I don't know if he always has done it that way. I haven't seen enough of his fights to know, but he was kind of uh, leaning back and then uh, dipping down and throwing it like... Uh, like if you were trying to split a piece of wood the opposite way, like if it was on the seat. Uh, and I never, I never seen any fighter throw an uppercut like that. But with his style, it sort of worked for that fight. So I don't, I don't know who taught him that. Well, and, and and also it was a good time for him to experiment. He knew nothing serious would be coming back at him. My take on it. Right. Uh, last Saturday we also had Robert Hellenius at heavyweight beating Johan Duhalpas. For the vacant WBC silver heavyweight title over there in Helsinki. Alenius goes to 22-0. Do help us falls to 33-3. see what else we got. And uh, the other thing that was working for Broner was the jab. But <clears throat> I think the biggest news was after the fight how... Uh, Broner basically called out his uh, former buddy, Floyd. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I heard that. He was careful enough to say, well, maybe we don't have to fight. Maybe we just got to spar, but he got to come see me. That's his exact words. He got to come see me. Well, that's yeah. a, even somebody asked me about that. Like, oh, what do you think about that? And I was like, well, you know, here's the easy part about it. Money. Yeah. The end, money. It's a big money fight. Yeah, Absolutely. And, uh, you know, there was some tension before the fight between Floyd and uh, Adrian. Uh, and I think Floyd is a little bit resentful because he thinks that uh, Adrian's out there trying to not only, uh, you know, use the lessons that he taught him in the ring, but also outside the ring now because Adrian's trying to do his own promotional venture. And uh, if that goes anything like his uh, extracurricular activities with the bowling... And his other irresponsible behavior, it's just going to be another 50 cent deal, I think. He's going to end up bankrupt. Um, and that's what uh, really pissed Broner off because Boyd called him always broke. <laughs> for the AB. <laughs> AB stands for always broke, according to Floyd. It did not sit well with uh, Mr. Broner. 
But yeah, I mean, obviously, when somebody's trying to copy you like that, it doesn't uh, doesn't make you feel good. It's one thing if he copies his style. I mean, that's why he was his protege. That's you know, he wanted him to learn his style and carry that on. But now he's kind of like, all right, now you're stealing everything. All my ideas. We're going to get to that card in a minute, give you full details. I guess that's the... Oh, those are this weekend's fruits. How do we get to that? Alright. So, we actually got some fights going on Friday this week. And we got a big one on Saturday. Uh, yes, we do. And like I said, I wanted to take time to write a preview, but I was so much running around this weekend, and then I spent a good bit of Sunday and then almost all day Monday just sleeping. <laughs> I can't run like I used to. Yeah. Uh, I will give you um, the uh, Cliff Notes version of what's going on in my little brain, because like I said, unfortunately, I didn't get to write this one out. But I always, you know, give my standard. Height, weight, reach, age, record. We've seen these guys. So we know what they are. Just add a year to them. Add, basically from the last fight, add two wins to Bradley, add a loss to Pacquiao. And that's it. Um, and then I would say how they looked in their last performance. Bradley looked great. But remember, the guy he was fighting was pretty much a shop-worn fighter. Now, the fight before that, when he fought Jesse Vargas, Vargas is a very good fighter who's getting better. Vargas had Bradley almost out again. So Bradley's Achilles heel is that late fight when he gets hurt pretty bad. And he's gotten hurt pretty bad a few times. Now, the last fight, Brandon Rios looked fantastic. But it's against a guy who basically was, I mean, I wouldn't even call him a shell of his former self. I would call him a shell of a shell of his former self. <laughs> And, and, and Bradley looked great with Teddy Atlas. He listened to him. You know, he really was following what Atlas had to say. You know, could that be a big, you know, improvement for him? It very well could be. Or it could be him looking so good against a fighter that really didn't belong in the ring. Pacquiao, on the other hand, has been out of the ring for, you know, it's, uh, coming into this week is going to be um, over 11 months. And his last fight, he looked dreadful. Now, was it a shoulder injury? Or was it, a, I mean, it could be a lot of things. It could be, hey, could it have been his right shoulder that he couldn't use? Absolutely. Could it be the fact that, you know, Mayweather just put on a boring game, game plan and Pacquiao just couldn't figure it out? Maybe. Could it be Pacquiao has finally aged? Could he be done? Absolutely. I think it's a combination of this. It could be the combination of Mayweather controlling the pace, dictating the pace, and not letting Pacquiao get set. I think there is some validity to that injury because now he's been out 11 months. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm injured, that's why I lost, and then be back a month later. And also, I think it's the fact that, you know, he is on the downside. You know, he is the guy that this could be the last time he steps into the ring. Um, so now you take all those factors and you throw them in. Part of me says, you know, these guys have fought twice before. Out of 24 rounds, I think I gave Pacquiao 19 and Bradley 5. Winning Bradley won, won the first fight, and he ends up getting the decision. 
The last fight was more competitive. I had it eight to four. Pacquiao. Um, so Bradley obviously improved in um, in their fight. Um, you know, in his improvement, he even buckled Pacquiao in the third or fourth round of their second fight. But Pacquiao overwhelmed him going down the stretch. Part of my gut in this fight is says Bradley wins a decision. That's part of what my gut's saying. Um, you know, because you know Pacquiao, I don't think he can muster up that magic that he had 10, 11 years ago. That's part of it. And I think the other part of it is, you know, I think Bradley's going to improve enough that, you know, it's going to be close. It's going to be like seven rounds to five. Um, you know, Pacquiao might throw some flurries and back him against the ropes. I don't see the man going down. I just see this being a fight where Pacquiao just doesn't do enough. Now, also, it could be that close of a fight and Pacquiao gets it and he can ride to the sunset, you know, with a win because they screwed him out of the first fight. Those are the two options I see. A close fight, either Bradley gets and deserves the win or Pacquiao uh, gets the decision so he can, you know, re retire with a win. Yeah, we also had... Uh that's good points, of course. We're going to go over that whole card probably after the call uh, with Eric Souza. Uh, we also had, though, over the last weekend, I wanted to mention uh, Thomas Adamek did not have a very successful comeback. Uh, I don't know why they don't have the round, but uh, it looks like he got knocked out by Eric Molina. Moves up to 24-3. and Adamek goes to 50-4. and four, 50 wins, 4 losses. And uh, the vacant IBF Intercontinental Heavyweight title is now Eric Molina's. And uh, also on that card, another veteran with a lot of fights, Rafael Jakowicz at welterweight lost to Michael Sirowatka. He was 13-1. and Jakowicz came in 48-13-2, so he gets a 14th loss in that one. Uh, another guy with a little bit of experience, Matus Masternak, won his fight against Eric Fields. Masternak goes to 36-4. Fields goes to 24-3. That was a unanimous decision as well. And uh, I think uh, we've had this guy on the show before, Francisco Palacios. We had him on uh, last year or something. He lost a fight to Michael Cizlak, who remains undefeated at 11-0 at Cruiserweight. Palacios falls to 23-3. Also, Andrej Warwick uh, at heavyweight, 31-1, beat Marcin Rikowski, who is 17-2 now. the results but yeah we'll go over that whole uh, Manny Pacquiao card later Manny Pacquiao I'm pretty much um, interested in watching this fight mostly to see how improved uh, Bradley is because of his work with uh, Teddy Atlas you know so I think it's gonna be a different fight because of that but you know obviously there was controversy in the first one because of the absolutely bogus decision. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the whole thing with the rematch ticket <laughs> that Bradley brought to, brought to the press conference. That was kind of crazy. <clears throat> uh, but anyway, we, we also have to go over the uh, upcoming April 10th bout in uh, Zagreb, Croatia, the UFC Fight Night 86. 
and the whole uh, OSP taking the place of uh, Daniel Cormier for the uh, big UFC. Uh, was it 197, 198? I don't know where the fuck, where the heck they are. They're at now. It's hard to keep track. But yeah, that's that was generating some controversy over the weekend and um, over the last week period. Uh, Daniel Cormier and uh, John Jones have been going at it on Twitter, and, it, and it's been vicious uh, back and forth. Actually, I heard that uh, John Jones deleted a tweet where he said, so much for dying to beat me, you know, to being willing to die to beat, beat me, because, uh, you know, that was right after Cormier pulled out with his leg injury. Crazy stuff. But anyway, we're going to get Eric on the call with us. Eric Souza. Nine, three, and three as a Muay Thai kickboxer. Hello. Hello, Eric. How's it going? Very good. I'm. Uh, how are you? Good. Hope it's not too late. There, Are we waking you up. <laughs> uh, no, I stayed up for this. It's three a.m. over here. Wow. Oh. Thanks for uh, keeping us in the loop there. Uh, the email you sent earlier, but um, tell us what actually first got you into fighting. Uh, what first got me into fighting? Um, to tell you the truth, when I was young, I had nothing to do with fighting. I didn't like fighting at all. Um, I was just sitting at home one day, and they aired, uh, I don't know if you know it, K1 Grand Prix. Yep, very 2008. Familiar. Okay. So, Badahari face Remy Bonyaski. Right. And uh, the tournament was just sick. Badahari was sick. Remember Jeski, he was amazing. And when they faced each other in the finale, Badahari got disqualified. But overall, I loved the fighting. And from that moment on, I knew I wanted to kickbox. So uh, I just looked for uh, in the neighborhood. And uh, from that moment on, I got hooked. Awesome. And so... Tell us a little bit about uh, where you train now. I train at Silent Dragon. Uh, it's in Rotterdam South. Um, my sensei is uh, Bien Gunning. He's a role model to me. He's 60, 62 years old. And solid like a rock. <laughs> I mean, he still fights like he's, I don't know, 25 years old. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, we have a great team. Uh, guys that keep pushing me. Um... And, uh, yeah, we got each other's back whenever one of us has to fight. I'm very happy to have that team. I'm never going to leave that team for sure. Awesome. And um, you talked a little bit about uh, wanting to transition or do uh, MMA at the same time you're doing kickboxing. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what made you come to that conclusion? Just watching the UFC fights or somebody yeah. uh, in your camp? Oh, nobody in my camp does MMA, really. But it has been, UFC has always been one motivator. Uh, I've been watching UFC when I was like 19 years old, seeing it back in the day. Chuck Liddell, BJ Penn, GSP were my uh, favorite fighters back then. And I just had to do it. And last year, I finally made a transition. I went to an MMA gym. Uh, you know, the coach was happy to have me. The team was happy to have me. Uh, basically because of my stand-up and uh, they felt they, they could uh, learn a lot from me. I can also learn a lot from them, uh, ground-wise, 
and it has been an amazing experience for me thus far. And my coach is just eager to get me in the cage and uh, to do my first MMA fight. Awesome. And what's the, what's the scene like over there? Obviously, it's very K1 is very big in the Netherlands, but uh, what about mixed martial arts? Is that is that as big or? It's it's growing. It's growing. It's getting there. The, well, kickboxing it's everywhere. You know, we have kickboxing fights every weekend, mm -hmm. and as for MMA, uh, maybe once every month. But let's say six months ago, they just started airing uh, a Bellator on TV. Uh, UFC fights are now on TV for everybody to see. Um, now they got UFC coming to Rotterdam, my hometown, in a couple of uh, in a month or so. Uh, MMA is becoming more accepted in Netherlands, so I think it'll take a couple of years before it'll take over kickboxing here. Awesome. And uh, how about uh, favorite fighters out there? I, I, I would think uh, you've got to be a fan of Alistair, being from the same area, Alistair Overeem. Uh, how about uh, your favorite kickboxers and uh, MMA fighters out there, in addition favorite. to the ones you already named? Okay, mm -hmm. my favorite kickboxers right now are uh, Mohamed Jaraya, uh, Ilyas Bulait, uh, just to name a few. Those are 70 kilogram uh, kickboxers. They're 19 years old. Uh, Rich, I can tell you, Google these guys or, or on YouTube, type in Ilyas Bulait or Mohamed Jaraya for everybody at home. These two are monsters and they are my absolute favorite right now. Um, as for MMA fighters, um, Jose Aldo, great fighter, great kickboxer as well, Conor McGregor, very unorthodox stand-up style, um, gotta love Rousey still, even after their <laughs> loss, right. except, no, great fighter as well, um, my all-time favorite, John Jones. Despite the fact that he has been, you know, out of the game lately and issues with the law, he still is, in my opinion, the light heavyweight champion. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think everybody who has knocked him for his out-of-the-cage troubles always has that, you know, after the fact, hey, he's still a great fighter. You know, they usually <laughs> say that. And I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, I've been ripping him up and down for his attitude outside the cage but um you know it's just the fact that he does so many dynamic things that nobody else does it's worth paying attention to and it's worth watching and it's worth appreciating just little things like those oblique kicks to the shins that he does to people exactly uh and nobody else is doing that so spinning back elbows i mean how many times do you see that in in, in a UFC card? Uh, but that's what what does it and, and a lot of people don't realize that he didn't really train traditionally when he came up through the ranks. And I actually saw one of his first fights at a little place called Foxwoods here in Connecticut. And uh, I don't even I didn't even remember it until I went back later and, and saw it on his fight record. And I said, oh, yeah, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he was being dynamic back then, too. He knocked the guy out in the first round. And he actually studied uh, not just traditional fighting styles but kung fu movies bruce lee stuff like that uh to, to get some of his moves so you know yeah, those are just some very unorthodox styles that he uses that attracts people attention and people are not familiar with those styles so when you do those stuff 
it'll catch your opponent off guard. It's a big advantage. Right. Very good for John Jones. Now, I don't know if it's legal in kickboxing, but one of my favorite uh, moves or strikes that, that a lot of people don't use nowadays, they used to use a lot more, is just the regular back fist, not the spinning back fist, just the regular back fist. Is that legal? Uh, I know the spinning back fist. What do you mean with the back fist? Can you describe it? You know, it's just like if you're in your boxing stance and instead of punching somebody straight ahead or with a hook, traditionally, you just give them the old back fist. <laughs> like oh, a backhand. Back of like a backhand, yeah, basically. Mm, yeah, it's allowed. Yeah, and a lot of, the last time I saw anybody use it really effectively was, uh, as, um, drawing a blank on the guy's name, Andre Arlovsky versus Travis Brown. Was just wailing him with those things. Oh yeah. Come into my routine. I'm training for an amateur mixed martial arts fight myself. Oh really? And the more I hit it, hit it the bag with it, and try to use it in sparring and stuff, it's like it works because nobody expects it. They might expect the spinning one, but you know that's the only thing that's going to do is give you more power. But how's the impact though? Well, if you do it right, it's just oh. just as hard as a regular punch. You know, okay. you're not going to get the same effect of. The spin and catching the guy off guard there, and, uh, but it's definitely it's harder than a power jab, that's for sure. Oh man, if somebody would hit me with that, fool me once, shame on shame on me, <laughs> fool me twice, you know. Right. Uh, do you have a favorite strike or punch? Um, favorite punch. My favorite punch would be either a hook. Or an uppercut. Uh, yeah, I would go for the uppercut. Most mm -hmm. effective punch I can throw. Yeah. If somebody throws a straight jab or straight right, I can slip and come back with an uppercut. I usually catch a lot of people with that. Yeah, it's one of those punches. Actually, when I was uh, boxing in college, I don't ever remember throwing one. But I used to get caught with them all the time in sparring. In uh, my last fight in Nationals, the kid hit me with about seven of them. And uh, <laughs> it's just one of those punches that uh, it catches you. Every time you lean over, I used to remember always getting yelled at by my coaches for leaning over. Hey, you got to watch the uppercut if you lean over like that. But uh, for some reason, as much as I practiced it, I never remember throwing one in a fight. That's going to change when I go into MMA, though. <laughs> oh, you should, man. I love the uppercuts. And the thing is, with MMA and the small gloves... They, they always hit. They'll always hit. If you got an opponent against the, opponent against the cage, right. you're bound to hit him. Good luck with that. And uh, one thing I noticed, too, is when these guys are against the cage, they're not throwing enough elbows. I love elbows. Unfortunately, in, uh, in Maine, where I'm going to be doing my uh, debut, they don't allow elbows to the head. I, so that's going to suck. But <laughs> Yeah, it does. Does. But eventually, maybe I'll use them. It depends on if I fight in another state and it's different rules. But anyway, get back to you. Uh, do you have any uh, role models inside or out the cage that uh, are the ring that uh, that really helped you out along the way? Um, my uh, my coach, strong motivator, and I have to say, my most important motivator right now. Mm, my girlfriend and my daughter. Cool. 
they motivate me each day. Uh, I fight for my daughter and my girlfriend. My girlfriend makes sure my, my diet is on point. <laughs> she does the cooking, and uh, yeah, I have to cut weight sometimes. I fight at 155. And uh, yeah, she takes care of me. That's good. Can't do this without him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, how about your ultimate goal with all this? You, you mentioned you want to do MMA and kickboxing in your email at one point, and maybe choose one or the other. But what what is your uh, be all end all here for for your career in fighting? Uh, well, good question. That either depends on whichever sport I excel in the fastest. If, uh, I want to go pro eventually, of course. I see that happening soon. Um, uh, if I get a title shot in MMA, I'll focus on MMA. If I get a title shot in kickboxing, I'll focus on kickboxing. Right. My, my, my goal is that belt. Uh, and I think you probably heard a lot of people say this, but... I'll get there. I really do. Mm-hmm. Well, first part of first step is believing in yourself. <laughs> so, if you don't believe in yourself, you're probably not going to get there. <laughs> so that's a yes, good. Yes, we can. Uh, and now, uh, as far as uh, the kickboxing, you got some fights coming up. Do you know your opponents for those fights yet? Yeah, yeah. Um, my next fight is on April twenty fourth. I'll be facing uh, Hisham Badwan. It's a Moroccan fighter from uh, The Hague. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really familiar with him. I saw a fight or two, maybe. Um, but he fights like every other guy from his gym, and they are ruthless. They, 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 they just want to brawl. So it's <laughs> going to be a dog fight with him. He's gonna, he, at least he wants to bring a dog fight. He ma- wants to make it a dog fight. It's going to be a tough fight. I'm prepared. My conditioning is on point. And if there's one thing I can't do, I can keep him at a distance and, and, and just play my game, you know. I'll make a miss. And uh, uh, he will capital- I will capitalize on his mistakes. All right. Uh, and... <clears throat> That's where your uh, your uppercut will come in handy. Just trying to slow him down. If he's brawling, he's going to be sloppy. He's going to be leaving that chin out for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you already know. Yeah. My favorite hey, part is give the away jab. My secret, eh? But uh, you know that's what that's what you need to get the uppercut working. You of course. Jab out there, and the guy comes forward. Bam! You hit him with the uppercut. Yeah. Uh, how about what do you what do you enjoy most about being a fighter? Um, the lifestyle of it all. I just love to to train and and uh, push it to that limit. Like I reach a new level every time I train. Either it's conditioning or or uh, strength or technique or the, the 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 mental part of it. I love to to step into a ring or or even a sparring session for that matter and and, and outsmart somebody right. or just having a better stamina than him. Uh, I would like to see results. And those results, they will show in the ring. That's what I do. That's, that's why I love to fight. 
And, and when you're training, what's the most important thing that you do to get ready for a fight? The most important? Uh, a lot of things. I always focus on stamina. Um, the mental part. You can't really, I don't know, I can't really train that, but there was one tip some somebody gave me once and he said you should always stay motivated or at least look for motivation so let's just say i have a hard training session in a couple of hours i just go on youtube i look for a fight or one of my favorite fights for for example the k1 2008 grand prix and i get pumped again and i feel the same sensation i felt when i wanted to start fighting and then I go to practice, I kill it. Mm -hmm. Inspiration, motivation, this, this is how I train my mind for a fight. And when I get to the fight, I'm finally there. Yeah, that's, that's very important. And, and um, stamina is huge, too. I mean, I know I've told this on the radio show a million times, but uh, one of my favorite stories from my college days was when I ended up uh, fighting for Virginia Military Institute for a semester on their intercollegiate team and I go to the first scrimmage we have with uh, the Naval Academy and this kid ends up kicking the crap out of me because uh, it was the only time I ever quit in a fight just couldn't deal with it after a round or so and uh, I said yeah I'm out of shape I'm done so lo and behold I go through the whole season and I end up facing the same kid in regionals and uh, you know we're all suited up ready to go and he looks across the ring at me and realizes who I am and he's got this big smile on his face but I, I got some stamina <laughs> and he didn't know about that so I ended up beating him and going to the nationals and uh, you know he was going to the body the whole time because he thought he was going to wear me out and I just kept jabbing and hooking and uh, that's what got me the win but how did that feel? that felt great and, and it was mostly the running the running is huge, um, and one of, the, one of the guys we love to talk about on this show all the time is a guy named Rocky Marciano. Mm. Yep. Uh, if you ever watch some of his highlights, you look at his legs. He had some real powerful legs, and we talked to one of his best friends growing up, a guy who's now dead, who told us that these guys used to run uh, regularly, not only uh, 30 miles at a time, but they would run in their dress shoes. Because, wow. you know, it was better than driving anywhere. You know, he had to do the work anyway. So that was his road work. He'd go from Boston, Massachusetts to Providence, Rhode Island with this guy all the time. And then they'd hitchhike back. But they would just, you know, jog the whole way. Unbelievable stuff. You don't see that old anymore. School. You don't see that no more, indeed. It's old school. And I read a book about him. And it was a funny story in there about how his wife actually caught him during their honeymoon, getting up to do his road work. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's how serious he was about it. Got to stay. It's in great shape. to see fighters that committed. Yes. All right. Well, we got another couple co-hosts here. I'm wondering if they got any questions. Usually, I hog the whole interview. Oh yeah. All right, Rich. You do hog the whole interview. I'll let Tom go first. <laughs> well, Eric, I just love your mental approach. Because, you know, for a young guy, you seem like you've really got your head together on that. Because a lot of times people think that fighting is all about just physicality. And, of course, you have to have your conditioning right. But without your mindset, it's over. You're done. <laughs> exactly. And I think you've, you've really got that down. Now, 
do you uh, specifically work on that aspect of your game uh, as far as like any kind of um, uh, meditation or uh, any kind of mental disciplines, or do you feel that your training and your conditioning um, takes care of your mindset for you? Mm, well, I don't do any meditation, but I can tell you, whenever I have a fight lining up, uh, when I go to bed, uh, I see my opponent in my head. When I wake up, he's still in my head. It's like, like a fear, and that fear, uh, it drives me. It makes me want to beat him even more. When I'm punching the uh, the punching back, when I'm hitting the punching back, and the trainer says, "I right, we got 30 more seconds, go all out." From that moment on, I see I see my opponent's head again, and I think about what he wants to do to me, and then I go crazy. I, I kick the bag's ass. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. We're, we're not ready to show. You can say that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that is a very healthy mindset because. Everyone feels fear, everyone. But I think as long as you use it to motivate you in a positive way, and yeah. it sounds like you've, you've got that down, and I think every fighter has to get their own method of dealing with it. But I just love what I'm hearing from you. That's why I haven't said much. I'm just enjoying this interview so much. Thank you. So this is, you've really got the, the right mentality. I know we're going to be hearing about you, hopefully in both sports. Thank you, sir. And Eric, the one thing I always ask, and I okay, ask this of a, of a lot of fighters, whether boxing, uh, kickboxing, mixed martial arts, UFC, any type of combat sport, I always like to ask, uh, and, and you, and it was actually almost uh, as a, um, you know, a follow up to what Tom just said with the mentality on fight night. You know, when it's time to get in there, when do you mentally make that transition? Now, for me as a fighter. It was when my hands got taped. That could be two hours before the fight. Uh, but once the hands got taped, the game face came on. Um, you know, and I got into that mindset where you're right. It's, I'm going to beat this person because he wants to take what I've worked for. And that was my mindset. I'm interested to hear when you get the game face on. Um, well, I get my game face on a little bit later, actually. Uh, I get it when they call out my name and I uh, walk towards the ring. From okay. that moment on, it all just, all, all, all the burden on my shoulder, it just goes away. Uh, the training camp, uh, the weight cut, everything. I just see it disappear. All I see is my opponent and people shouting my name. And then I step in the ring and it's all gone. I'm in my zone. Even if the, my, the opponent across the cage looks mean at me, I'm, I'm just like, I'm ready, let's do this. I never blink when, I, uh, when I'm in the stare down. Cool. For me, I mean, that's always a good question for me, too, because sometimes I wonder. I mean, I've done wrestling and boxing so far. I haven't done MMA yet, but um, even just in sparring in MMA, I, I don't get nervous, you know? And, and it, sometimes it takes me till that first punch that I get punched to figure out oh geez you know I gotta put my put my game face on <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a lot of times it's just uh, it just because you've done it so much because you practice so much because you, you feel like you're ready uh, it's just supreme confidence takes over the fear for me at least I don't know a lot of people are you know different in that respect but important part of fighting is the psychological part because 
you know, there was a the Rocky movie there. I forget which one where he talked about fear is your best friend. Uh, Rocky Five. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> For me, it's different because you know, fear to me, it's when I'm doing bad that I start fearing stuff. <clears throat> but everybody's different. <coughs> One, what, what do you like about that organization, working for them and, and uh, being involved with that? Um, uh, um, in the Netherlands, it can get kind of messy sometimes uh, dealing with organization. Right. Um, fighters, well, it's not really their fault, but sometimes fighters don't even show up for the fight, no, for example. They, um, how do you call it? I have, <laughs> I have had disputes, uh, one time with myself and several times with my teammates that I was not, um, uh, let's get messy. Right. Hometown cooking, we call that around here. <laughs> what, what do you call it? Hometown cooking, when the hometown, hometown. fighter gets the decision. Exactly. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, I really hate it. I never yeah. had it happen to me, but uh, you know, it's I haven't had. Never had it happen to me. I haven't had enough fights in my hometown. <laughs> I've had too many fights in the other guy's hometown. Yeah. So it's, uh, Excuse me. It, it was actually one time where uh, I fought a guy from Pennsylvania, where the ref ref got involved a little too much and started getting on me when the other guy was throwing elbows at me in a in a boxing match. So. That was the only time I ever had a problem with any kind of uh, issues with the, with the organization. But you know, the guys that are refing those fights are volunteers, so oh, you know, it's not like they're getting paid to go in there and do a great job. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can imagine uh, the politics is always the worst part of anything, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. I mean, you train hard. At least be fair with the with the decision, guys. You know, that's yeah. what I'm trying to tell them all the time. So no hometown cooking. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there anything uh, else you want to add before we let you go? Any any uh, any uh, websites other than Twitter and everything like that you want to give people a way to find you? Um, I have two things to say. Um, well, first of all, uh, I have an Instagram account. Um, I post all pictures of uh, training progress and. Uh, Pat work, etc. It's uh, James with a double J, Howlett with a double T. James Howlett, double J, double T. Okay. And on another note, um, I might have another fight on uh, June 4th. Uh, the promotion or the promoters, they have a slight twist on how they uh, put you on the main card and. Um, now what they do is they post the fighters on Facebook, and the fighters with the most likes and the most shares, etc., they get to be put on the main card. So, right. people at home, whenever you get the chance, log into Facebook, go to page, battle events, and uh, you'll find me there, Eric Souza. Click share, or like, and uh, who knows? Maybe you'll see me fighting again on June fourth. Awesome. We'll uh, we'll check that out. You can uh, you send us a direct link to, and we'll we'll put it right into the show page. We're gonna have that uh, this whole show processed by the end of the night tonight. So, you got some time. Cool. 
and then uh, we'll have that link right in there so people know about it. And cool, they, thank they you. Can help you out with that. Appreciate it. And if you if it's not uh, if it's not up to par by June fourth, keep reminding us, and we'll put it out on our Twitter account too. I will. I will. All right. Anybody else you want to thank or give a shout out to? Um, shout out to MMA Flattinger. Shout out to Silent Dragon. Um, shout out to all my Twitter followers, Instagram followers, and most importantly, thank you guys. It was my first interview. I was kind of nervous, but um, <laughs> uh, you made me feel at ease, guys. Right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You did. You did great. Thank you. Nothing to be nervous about. I'm sure this. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep your hands up. That's my, my one thing that I hate about, especially mixed martial arts, watching these guys who try to fight with their hands by their waist. doesn't work. Oh, cocky, <laughs> cocky much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Won't see me do that, Rich. It works for Floyd, you know, because he's got the shoulder roll and the, and the head movement. But, you know, very few people can pull that off. Just because you see one guy do it doesn't mean you can do it, right? Exactly. <laughs> Oh, you'll meet Mr. Canvas. Right. No, not me. <laughs> All right. All right, Eric, we wish you luck, even though I know you're not going to need it. And uh, we'll keep an eye on you and uh, keep following you, and, and uh, I'll let you know when the when the uh, show goes live. Thank you very much, guys. You're All right, Eric, uh, good luck. Good luck. Thank you. Have, Yo. a good one. have a good one. So there you have it, uh, Eric Souza. Nine, three, and three is a kick. If he uh, gets that uh, MMA Boy, it's, just, it's just nice to talk to someone that's so that's got their head together so much like that. Let's just hope he can uh, put things together. Yeah. But mentally, mentally, I just really like what I'm hearing from him. Yeah, I think uh, you know the the Netherlands in general. There's a lot of smart people living there. And uh, it is uh, obviously a very big hotbed for kickboxing. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's almost like it's, it's in their DNA now. Yeah. I kind of wonder how that happened. Uh, it's right there with Thailand. You know, it's almost like the, the world center. If you want to learn Muay Thai, it's either Thailand or Holland, one of the two. Right. My sister actually married a guy from over there, so I know there's a lot of intelligent people over there. <laughs> He's a good dude. Boss Rutten. Boss Ru yeah, there you go. Ross Rutten, uh, Alistair Overeem, a lot of people from, uh, a, lot of, a lot of good fighters from that neck of the woods. But we'll have to look up those two guys. I'll have to get them to uh, send me the correct spelling because, I mean, obviously he pronounces them pretty good, but I wouldn't have the first clue how to, how to uh, actually spell those out after hearing them from him. So we'll, I'll definitely get those from him and uh, forward them to you, Tom, so we can both check them out. Even Tony. Tony might want to check them out, right? Sure, why not? Send him. All right. So um, we got uh, UFC Fight Night 86. That's the next big event coming up, as I mentioned, in Zagreb, Croatia. April 10th, uh, big main event there is Big Boys, Ben Rothwell, Big Ben, and uh, Junior, Junior Dos Santos fighting here. And uh, Rothwell comes in with the more... Uh, experience, but uh, not as much in the UFC. I don't think he's 36 and nine. Uh, started off uh, his big fights were in uh, IFL in the beginning. Now uh, he's in the UFC, and he's uh, he's got kind of a controversial background. Something to do with some weird scream, kind of like uh, Howard Dean. <laughs> some weird scream after his fight, and uh, so everybody's knocking him. 
But he's a, he's a tough boy. Uh, he, he's one of those guys. He doesn't look like he's formidable. You know, he's got a lot of gut and flab hanging off of him. But uh, man, can he throw those bombs? So I'm looking forward to this one. And obviously, I've said it a million times on this show. Junior Dos Santos is one of those guys who likes to zombie fight. And he is, uh, he's come out and actually publicly stated that he didn't even remember a full round of one of his fights with uh, Cain Velasquez. Um, so that, to me, is very disturbing. Uh, he's uh, continuing to fight that way and hasn't learned anything from it. So, so I'll be interested to see if he, he has uh, changed his style at all to uh, include more defense, because he definitely needs it. But uh, I think Rothwell wins this one. I really do. I think he's got... Yeah, uh, that's, that's, it, it seems game. like his trajectory is going up. And Junior, uh, I, I, and, and they're both such good guys. I mean, I really like both of them. Uh, I don't think Junior's had a bad word to say about anyone. I mean, he's, uh, I just seen an interview where he, uh, uh, he was saying about Rothwell, he's, he's uh, happy to compete against him, but he says, no, he, he's a strange guy. You know, he's got that Brazilian <laughs> accent and smiling. He says, but that's good, that's good. But I, 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 ju I just think that, that maybe it's one more too many for, uh, for Junior. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, I, but I, I do think that this fight's really a crossroad for both guys because Rothwell, a loss for Rothwell, and it's like, well, what happened to all that momentum he had going? Exactly. And then on the other hand, another loss for Junior, and it's like, maybe you better find a new vocation. Yeah, yeah he's only got four losses, but you know, you got to think about what those four losses did to him. That, well, you know, I, I, you know, it wasn't again, all three rounds. As we were. As we were talking about earlier, that sometimes all it takes is one loss to change the, the you know, whole trajectory of a career, as we talked about with Jerry Cooney and uh, Miranda. And after, especially after both those Kane rematches, I mean, those were beatings, severe yeah. beatings, not just losses. I mean, but beatdowns, bad beatdowns. And you wonder if Junior's ever recovered from that. And then his fight with Stipe, which, um, you know, let's just say it was close. But uh, that was that was quite a war, and he just looked awful gun shy in his last fight. That was not the same junior that we'd seen win the title. So we'll see if he can put it together. I mean, I have an open mind on it, but my money's on Rothwell. And then we got another heavyweight fight in the co-main event: Derek Lewis versus Gabriel Gonzaga. Gabriel, uh, I've interviewed in person, met him at uh, Foxwood show, even though I didn't realize it was him at first. I thought somebody was lying when they told me it was him. Uh, it's probably one of my uh, most famous or my most favorite uh, meetings of a fighter. It's when I went over to him and I said, that guy over there thinks you're Gabriel Gonzaga. <laughs> he goes, I am, I am. <laughs> that was hilarious. Well, and he trains in Massachusetts. He actually has a, uh, he has a gym up here in uh, Hooksit, New Hampshire, which is not too far from me. It's about an hour away. And I actually found out uh, when I was up in Maine that uh, the guy who is the, the coach at the gym I'm training at, is fighting a guy from that gym. So I, I actually kind of joked with him and said, uh, hey, you want me to go spy on the guy for it? We had a good laugh, but I wasn't really going to do it. Uh, even though I would like to go there and train. But anyway, uh, Derek Lewis is going to be his opponent. 14-4 uh, and four is his record, and uh, he's on a tear. He's, he's, uh, he's a pretty big guy. And uh, Gabriel has had some ups and downs since he came back from retirement, so... This is a big uh, step up for him. 
in competition. Yeah, I think it's going to be a long night for him. And I also think it's another one, too, that, you know, you can only, um, you have your time. I mean, after he knocked out Krokop, it looked like he was really on the move. But um, things just haven't panned out for him. And that was, you know, look back on it, that was 2007. Right. So it's been all those years, so I think a, a, a bad loss here will really um, have him reevaluating where he's at. But, uh, you know, at least he does have that, uh, that stuff outside the cage going for him. Uh, so he, he does have other stuff to do, training and running his gyms. So you're not going to feel too bad for him if he loses and decides to go back into retirement. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's the last fight I, I don't, off the top of my head, remember who he fought in his last fight, but I don't he had, uh, at one point, Herb Dean, I think, came up to him and said something about, uh, about uh, do you want to continue? And he said, oh, yes, yes. So, uh, and then, uh, yeah, he actually uh, had the rematch with uh, Mirko in uh, April of last year, right around this time, and uh, lost in the third round there, three minutes, 30 seconds in. Lost to Matt Mitrione before that, and Stipe Miocic, your buddy, before that. Um, and it was two TKOs in a row, Mitrione and then Filipovic. And then uh, Konstantin Arokin, that was his last fight in 2000, December 11th of last year. Ultimate Fighter 22 finale, that was his uh, first win in his last four fights. Uh, but he's got a win over our former guest, Sean Jordan. He, that was a, a big fight for him back in uh, October of 2013. Knocked him out in the first round. And uh, Dave Herman before that, July 6, 2013. Uh, and Ben Rothwell, the main event fighter. Uh, he beat him back in January of 2013 as well by guillotine choke. So maybe if he does get the win here, that's going to be the next fight. Who knows? Could be the next fight for either guy. If Rothwell wins, of course. We're also on that card. We got Jan Blakowicz, 18 and 5, fighting Igor Pokrajak, who is 28 and 12. Francis Nganu, who is 6 and 1, versus Curtis Blades, who is 5 and 0. Nicholas Dalby, undefeated, 14 0 and 1, fighting Zach Cummings, who's 18 and 4. We got Marcin Tibura, who is 13 and 1. Fighting Timothy Johnson, who's nine and two. Bojan Velikovic, who is thirteen and three, fighting Alessio Di Chirico, who is nine and zero, undefeated. We got Damian Stasiak, eight and three, fighting Philip Pajic, who is ten one and one. Looks like they got all the guys with the <laughs> European names for this fight. Fight card: Mirbek Taisumov, twenty-four and five, fighting Demir Hadzovic, who is ten and two. Cyril Asker, 7-1, versus Jared Cannonier, who's 7-1. Ian Entwistle, 9-2, fighting Alejandro Perez, who's 16-6. We got, in the second fight of the night, Lucas Martins, who is 15-3, fighting Robert Whiteford, who is 12-3. And, and the first fight of the night will be the only female fight on this card. It's kind of surprising to me, because usually the overseas cards, especially in boxing, are the ones where... A lot of the times, the females are headlining. Uh, but this is this is the only fight on the card, and it's the very first one, way down in the preliminaries. And I've never heard of either girl. Uh, Marina Moros, who's 6-1, and one, fighting uh, Christina Stanchu, 
who is 5-0 undefeated. And of course, then next weekend we also have some some more fights going on. We'll get to those later. And we got some boxing matches coming up to get to. And of course, Boxrec wants to be a pain in the ass. That's what it does better than anything anymore. <laughs> so I did say we have some fights on Friday, but we only actually have a couple worth mentioning. See if I can find them here. Uh, nobody you've ever heard of, actually. There it is. Uh, Moscow. It's a big fight. On paper, anyway. Um, I, I don't know how I've never even heard of these guys. One of them's undefeated, and one of them's 48-1. This is for the IBF World yeah. Super Lightweight title and the International Boxing Organization World Super Lightweight title. That's a big one. It's, it almost takes up the, the whole line. International Boxing Organization World Super Lightweight title. Uh, this is Edward Troyanovsky. He's 23-0 at Super Lightweight. He's fighting Cesar Rene Cuenca, or Cuenza, who is 48-1. And his last loss was, let's see, uh, five fights ago. No, six fights ago. So he's, he's won five in a row since his last loss. And this is uh, right out of Moscow, this fight. And it's really the only one uh, worth talking about on this whole card. A lot of mismatches. And then we get pretty much got to go all the way to Saturday to find the next big fight. Got stuff going on all over the world as usual. See if I can find a big one. So the next page, of course. Just give me one minute, we'll find it. Here we go. There's uh, is a pretty interesting one in Brandenburg, Germany. Got the main event, Jack Colke, who is 21-1 at Super Welterweight, fighting Jean Carlos Prada, who is 31-1-1. That's for the interim WBA World Super Welterweight title. And the co-main event there is Enrico Coling, who is 20-1, fighting Alexander Cherviak, who is 15-5-1. That one is for the vacant WBA Intercontinental Light Heavyweight title. It's an interesting one in uh, Veracruz, Mexico, featherweight title fight, uh, WBC Continental America's featherweight title between Thomas Rojas, who is 46-14-1, and, and Prosper Ankara, who is 24-6. Co-main event there is Divas Perez, 32-13-4, fighting Eduardo Hernandez, who's undefeated 17-0-3 at Super Featherweight. That one is for the vacant WBC Youth World Super Featherweight title. A couple of youths. How's your uh, costume coming along, Tony, by the way? Well, well my, my cousin's in costume? Yeah. 
I might do that for Halloween. I really might. <laughs> you never know with me, remember? Yeah. I hope those pictures I sent you help. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the big one of the other big cards, other than the one in Vegas this weekend, is uh, over in the United Kingdom. Uh, Anthony Joshua, who uh, really stormed the Olympics there, uh, just went right into the pros and did the same thing. He's got 15 wins, all 15 of them by knockout, and now he's fighting for the IBF World Heavyweight title already. Fighting Charles Martin, who's also undefeated. He does have one draw to his credit. He's 23-0-1 at heavyweight. And uh, Anthony is fast, he's powerful, and uh, he's storming up through the ranks, obviously. So this should be a great fight. I mean, the champion going into this, but I got to think Joshua was the favorite fighter. Right. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, and you got to wonder if uh, if Klitschko is able to come back and uh, vanquish his defeat there and get the belt back, how, how good of a fight that would be between Joshua and Klitschko. That's kind of what everybody was thinking was going to be the, the fight that was going to dethrone Klitschko before Fury came along, so... They were just kind of waiting for him to uh, move up. Now he's moving up pretty quick. But sometimes guys like that, they they look good on paper in their early career, and then they get a test like this and they fail. So um, exactly, it's true. Be very interesting I'll tell you a perfect example. Somebody I, I uh, mentioned earlier was Michael Grant, right. who um, lives about only 20 minutes from me, Norristown, PA. Big guy, tremendous athlete. Um, you know, six foot seven. But, you know, he was doing real well, and then he had that real shaky fight against Andrew Galata, which he was down a couple times early, and then he won because Galata basically quit in the 10th round, and then he parlayed that to a fight with Lennox Lewis, and two rounds later, you know, his career was pretty much done. Hmm. And just about all the... The fights on this main card are for some kind of a title. Uh, the co-main event, where they go from heavyweights to featherweights for the co-main event. Uh, Lee Selby, 22-1, fighting Eric Hunter, who's 21-3. That one's also for an IBF world title, the featherweight title there. Then we've got uh, Mac the Knife, Matthew Macklin, 34-6, fighting Brian Rose, who is 28-3-1. And, and that's for the vacant IBF intercontinental middleweight title. And we go to Bantamweights from Middleweights there. Uh, Jamie McDonald, 27-2-1, fighting Fernando Vargas, 29-9-3 there for the WBA World Bantamweight title. And uh, George Groves back in action, 22-3, fighting David Brophy, who's 16-0-1 at Super Middleweight. That's for the vacant WBA International Super Middleweight title. And then we've got O'Hara Davies, undefeated at 10-0 at lightweight, fighting Andy Keats, who's 11-3. That's for the vacant BBB of C, English lightweight title. And that's, I believe, stands for British Boxing Board of Control. I think that's what it is. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, and then we've got uh, another fight in the United Kingdom uh, for a belt. A couple belts on the line. The other one's not as big, but... <coughs> Main event, Ben Jones, 21-5-1, fighting Jose Rios, who's 13-3-1 for the featherweight uh, belt, the WBO Intercontinental featherweight title. And then a Irish super middleweight title on the line between J.J. McDonough, 12-3, and, and Darren Cruz, who's 6-4. And, 
And of course, we have the big Vegas event. Bob Arum, top ranked promotions. Putting on this fight uh, Pacquiao versus Bradley. Manny is 57 6 and 2, of course, and Bradley is 33 1 and 1. And the one loss, obviously, to Pacquiao in their rematch, even though it should be two right there. <laughs> but uh, Pacquiao said this is it. Last fight, and and he might come back after come back out of retirement. He said for the right fight, which obviously would probably be Floyd. But uh, so pretty much saying this what is kind it. of time is that? This is my last fight unless I get another one. <laughs> well, we've heard that before, haven't we? Yeah. Uh, also, the co-main event here is uh, it's got to come from overseas. Here, who could have fought on any of those other cards we mentioned? Uh, Arthur Abraham, 44-4, and four, fighting Gilberto Ramirez, 33-0, uh, for the WBO World Super Middleweight title. And Abraham's on a tear. He's won his last six fights, so obviously so is uh, Ramirez. He's undefeated, so that should be a good one, super middleweight. And then we've got uh, a couple fighters with... Uh, Pretty decent records at featherweight for the vacant WBO NABO featherweight title, and uh, it's Oscar Valdez who is 18 and 0, fighting Evgeny Gradovich who is 21 1 and 1. I don't really know much about either one of those guys. Gradovich a few times, pretty good fighter. And we've got a couple other ones for uh, lesser titles, you could say. Jose Carlos Ramirez, undefeated at 16-0, facing Manuel Perez, 25-11-1 at Super Lightweight for the WBC Continental Americas Super Lightweight title. Then Alexander Givodzic, who is 9-0, fighting Najib Mohamedi, who is 37-4, that's at Light Heavyweight, for the vacant NABF Light Heavyweight title. And uh, NABF Welterweight title is also on the line between couple undefeated guys whose records would make you think they should be fighting for a world title rather than NABF. Go figure. These guys. 29-0, Konstantin Ponomirev at welterweight fighting Brad Solomon, who's 26-0. So, kind of crazy they're not fighting for a bigger title, but it is what it is there. I guess uh, maybe they don't have the caliber of opponents they should to, uh, to be getting that opportunity. And uh, it's actually... Pretty decent fight card going on uh, just south of me here in New Hampshire on Saturday at Rockingham Park in Salem, right on the Mass New Hampshire border. Nothing too crazy good on this card, but uh, some decent matchups. We've got the uh, main event is for the vacant International Boxing Organization International Heavyweight title. Uh, Alexis Santos, 15 and 1, fighting Daniel Martz, who's 14, 3 and 1. And uh, also Luis Orlando de Valle. Who is 20 and 2 fighting Josh Crespo, who is 6 2 and 3 in the co main event? Right. Even got some fights in your neck of the woods. Well, Washington, wherever that is in Pennsylvania. Washington, Pennsylvania? I'm not, can't say I'm familiar with that. Guy I've seen fighters actually on this card. Uh, and uh, the guy who must be, a couple guys who must be related to Tommy Carpensi, Jeremiah and Dan Carpensi are on this card, both undefeated. One's a heavyweight, one's a middleweight. Uh, and then a uh, guy I've seen up here in Massachusetts, Jesse Bad News Barboza, 
is on the card. He's 11-1-1 at heavyweight fighting Jason Bergman, who's 25-12-2. And, and I saw Barboza down in Cape Cod, and, and uh, he brings a whole group of people with him that chant his name during the fights when he's landing good shots. His nickname is Bad News, so they yell out, Bad News! Like that. It's so funny to hear. And it's intimidating, too. I mean, I can imagine for the opponent there. Yeah, Tommy's on this card, too. He's in the main event. 25-5-1 at light heavyweight. He's fighting Paul Gonsalves, who is 9-7-1 for the vacant WBA, NABA, USA light heavyweight title. That's a lot of A's. So that's a pretty decent card, wherever Washington is. I bet there's going to be a lot of Carpensies there other than the ones on the card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want to meet the whole family. Fam and family. Neighbor. <laughs> and... right. I wonder if that's ever been done before. Three of the same uh, last name fighting on the same card like that. Professionals. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think of some, you know, famous, you know, brothers out there. You know, brothers, cousins, you know, with the same name. You know, I'm, um, you know, obviously the Spinks brothers. You don't know, I mean, maybe the Mayweathers, because, I mean, you figure Roger, um, Floyd, and I think Jeff were all active around the same time, so that's, you know, a possibility. Right. But, yeah, brothers like that. I don't know. It's triplet brothers all involved in boxing. Pretty rare. Yeah, what was uh, here? I'll give you one. Um, got a, maybe the Fletchers from Philadelphia because there were a bunch of Fletcher fighters. Yeah. By the way, too, uh, I love how uh, when I put that thing up there about um, Vander Holyfield versus Burt Cooper. Yeah. On Facebook the other oh. day. So funny. Yeah. I said something about commented on it. You're right You're the one that told me the story. Yeah. Somebody put put a thing on Twitter about uh, about being the anniversary of something of uh, Burt Cooper versus Vander Holyfield. They put the video on there, and I commented back. Uh, uh, somebody once told me that uh, it, Burt Cooper uh, drinks a 40 ounce of beer when he goes for his runs for hydration. <laughs> Tony comments, "Yeah, I heard that too." <laughs> it's like you were the one who told me that. <laughs> <laughs> I got it well, from watching you. Know, you. I thought more people were sharing that urban legend. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, of course, the Boxing Rain Man has to uh, bump in on that one. Too funny. Well, I do. But anyway, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, Daniel Cormier being injured out of, uh, I believe it's UFC 197, or is it 198? Yeah, maybe it's 198. I don't know. Offhand, I don't have it right in front of me, but uh, uh, Ovin St. Preux is his new opponent. Uh, there was a lot of discussion. Tom sent me an article actually about this of, um, you know, is this going to be a Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor situation, even though nobody's bumping up in weight here? Uh, it could uh, John Jones lose this fight and regret uh, making this quick decision to fight this guy without a full training camp targeted on him? Whereas uh, Daniel Cormier came out and said, oh, I'd fight that guy on one day notice. So, <laughs> uh, obviously not yeah, given... Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see the McGregor parallel here because uh, OSP is not... Um, I just don't think he presents the challenge that uh, Diaz did to McGregor. I, because 
even before the McGregor fight, we could see a way for, for Diaz to win on the ground. Right. But I, I just think in this case, everything OSP does, Jones does exponentially better. Oh, I'll say geometrically better. How does that sound? <laughs> so I, I, just, I, I just don't see it. I guess they were just desperate so they wouldn't have to move Mighty Mouse up to the uh, main event and still keep it pay-per-view. Right. Well, a lot of people said it, it had a lot to do with um, when um, the whole card was destroyed because uh, John Jones wouldn't take a short-notice fight. He was Chael Sonnen at the time, UFC 151, and um, he said, "No, I'm not going to do a, I'm not going to do that change at the last minute." So he took a lot of heat from his fans and from people that obviously weren't his fans, just fans of the well, UFC. Well, and, and remember the other fighters, because if you don't. It's him. It's like anything else. You don't go to work. You don't get paid. Right. And and all the other fighters on the card that weren't making a faction, what Jones uh, makes, wound up making nothing. So maybe that was his, his his motive, and I'm sure he just worked it out well. Get me someone that's pretty much uh, then. Lost, uh, you know. Then again, now that you mention that, maybe he needed the payday because he's got to pay his lawyers now to to go to trial on these yeah. traffic tickets. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, very good point. So, no, I, I I think it's a safe fight for him, but I mean, it, it's just I, I just can't see what kind of pay per view numbers. I mean. It almost seems like they should just break it down and just put it on Fox Sports 1. I, I, I can't imagine paying for that. But, although I know. Well, I mean, there's a lot to be said about taking a fight on short notice like that and having that confidence. But you also got to remember he's coming off a lot of ring rust. He's been suspended all this time. And uh, but, but, this, but this is a confidence fight for him. I mean, he was going to go right back to, to fight for fight the championship. For the title, yeah. That's what was really stepping up, but I think this is the kind of fight that he needs. If he needs a confidence fight, this is a good one. Right, true. Um, and I, I don't think he's going to even entertain the thought of losing. Uh, so, it could happen, obviously. It could happen to anybody on any day. He could have a bad night. He's been doing a lot with his strength, so he's going to come in there a little bit more built than he usually is. Um, his weight training has been a huge part of this training camp for him since he got back into the gym and uh you know that's probably going to be something that uh, a lot of people aren't going to expect i mean it you know you look at a guy like daniel cormier he's a big dude he's hard to get to the ground if you want to get him to the ground and uh i don't think john jones was planning on doing a lot of takedowns anyway but uh you know he's he's obviously going to have a harder punch if that's weight training is working for him too and osp is another guy who loves going to the ground so if he can keep it on the feet and use his range, it should should be no issues for him against OSP. But um, also, uh, George St. Pierre is uh, getting closer and closer to a comeback, too. That's being thrown around a lot. GSP. So, I don't know if that's going to be another fight added to UFC 200, but it's kind of interesting watching the fans' reaction to all those fights that are being named for UFC 200. A lot of people are actually saying it's underwhelming because it's such a, a historical card, you know. 200 is a big number for them. Uh, but I think it's shaping up great. And, and a lot of people did knock uh, Misha's uh, fight fight uh, opponent there for that, for that card. But Amanda Nunes, I mean, she's ranked number four, so she's not a pushover. It's not like... Uh, 
You know, it's not as bad as uh, Jones versus OSP there. That's quite a step down from the title shot opportunity there to uh, to OSP. Not that OSP is a slouch, but like everybody's saying, it should be a cakewalk for Jones. <coughs> but um, you never know. You never know. The other interesting part of that story is Cormier, after saying that he'd face that guy on one day's notice, goes out and offers to uh, OSP, you can come train with us at uh, American Kickboxing Academy there. Uh, but uh, OSP turned him down. He said, no, nah, I'm all set. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, basically John Jones came out and said, well, that's cowardly to go out there and, and do something like that. And probably one of the best comebacks of the whole exchange between them two Cormier came out and said, oh, well, that's cowardly. What's cowardly is running away from the scene of an accident and not checking on the person you hurt. Who was pregnant, too, by the way. So, Yeah, that's, that, that's really personal. But uh, I would have just said, well, hey, uh, according to Machiavelli, the enemy of my enemy is my temporary friend. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, those two really hate each other. It's going to be interesting to see when they finally do get that second opportunity to fight each other how it's going to end but we've had a lot of injuries uh, actually the other injury uh, supposed to be the next fight coming up not this coming weekend but next weekend uh, Tony Ferguson backed out of a fight with uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov and uh, as another American kickboxing academy guy but for once they said it wasn't it wasn't the, the fight camp that caused it this time it was I guess outside the gym that he sustained his injury so the UFC is dealing with a lot of main events and co-main events. Uh, people, people getting tagged up and having to back out. But uh, probably the biggest story this week that I enjoyed reading was the one I sent you, Tom. About uh, I just sent you the quote, the one quote. But uh, Bleacher Report put out a big story on uh, a lot of these uh, Bellator guys that have come over from the UFC. Yeah. And uh, Matt Mitrione came up with a couple gems in this article. Uh, first of all, he recounted his uh, negotiations with, uh, Fr not Frank Fertitta, but Lorenzo. Lorenzo handles all the big business stuff for the UFC, and, and Frank pretty much sticks to the casinos, uh, you know, as far as uh, dealing, calling with calling the fighters and dealing with them directly. It's usually going to be Lorenzo rather than Frank, even though Frank signs a lot of the paperwork, obviously, and has some uh, input. Uh, but Lorenzo apparently had a conversation with Matt Mitrione where Matt was trying to explain to him without the fighters, you know, there's nothing basically. You know, you guys, he said the, the fighters are your product. He tried to tell Lorenzo and Lorenzo acted confused. <laughs> he, he said, no, the, the product for us is the show and, and, and the lights and the, the production. And, and he was, Matt Mitrione was just like dumbfounded that he would believe that in the first place. But he went on to say, uh, this is one of the best quotes I've ever read about this whole free agent situation in the UFC losing fighters. He says, uh, being famous and being in the UFC doesn't do you any good if you can't capitalize on it and monetize it realistically. It's not feasible for the most part. They took so much money from us and so much revenue earning potential from us. It changed the entire landscape of everything. 
I don't understand why anyone would re-up with the UFC unless they're still caught up in the glamour of being in the UFC, which is, <laughs> I think, pretty dead on. Well, that's what it's all about, just the glamour now. Right. Um, so a lot of fighters like Rory McDonald, which when you listen to his interview with Ariel Helwani, it makes a lot more sense why uh, the UFC would not want Ariel Helwani around their fighters interviewing them anymore. Uh, if, <clears throat> you know, you, you're looking at it from their standpoint. They don't want any, uh, any talk bad about their organization, especially from within, you know, guys that are still under contract. It used to be, Nobody would dare stick their necks out because there was nobody else, nowhere else to go. Nobody else to call up and say, you know, do you want to sign me? Now Bellator has gotten to that point where they're obviously not head-to-head uh, um, -head competitors. Like, uh, you know, they're on a different night almost every time that they have events. Uh, so they're, and they're not obviously as big yet as the UFC. Uh, no, they're trying to be, obviously. But they can compete. With the paychecks and with the opportunities, especially now that the Reebok deal is in place, it's severely handcuffed the UFC's ability to negotiate. But with uh, attitudes like Lorenzo's trying to deny that the fighters are the product, I mean, you can understand why a lot of these guys are not only deciding to jump ship, but talking about it. And uh, another meathead quote here. It's kind of funny, this guy comes up with the greatest quote I've ever heard about uh, this situation, and his nickname is Meathead. <laughs> but uh, Matt Mitrione says, uh, They steal from your left and your right pockets, and you're stuck there. Not to be incredibly crass, but you're stuck there with your dick in your hand. I was doing what was expected from me, and they okey-doked me. They pulled the chair out from underneath me. So that's another good point. And, uh, you know, there was some stuff from uh, also uh, the biggest defector, Benson Henderson, who uh, had some stuff to say about, uh, you know, the opportunities in different places. Obviously, it was very important to him to, uh, you know, seal his legacy there. And also, uh, as far as Roy McDonald was saying in his interview, when you take punishment, like, these guys getting these wars for title fights in the UFC and non-title fights even. They're getting these wars with people. And it makes you take a step back and say, you know, what What am I fighting for, you know, say 50 grand to, to almost die in the, the cage, to, to have to recover for six weeks or six months, however many, much time you really have to take to recover from a beating like that. Even though he called it the best night of his life because... You know, it was such a monumental fight, and, uh, you know, both guys did put it all out there. You have to start thinking, you know, am, am I earning what I deserve? And when uh, it all comes down to either, uh, you know, your, your show and win pay instead of also getting uh, a, the guarantee of your sponsor payments... It's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to just say, all right, well, now i got to sign off on all these sponsors that helped me get here, and i got to just go with Reebok for, for one payment that I know is going to come, and then I have to get that win bonus if I'm going to pay my bills, say. You know, it gets to the point where these guys are saying, it's not worth it. not worth it to, to go by their rules and stay in their organization if I'm not going to get those opportunities anymore. 
and then also you have to say to your, your the people that got you there well sorry but I, there's nothing I can do you know you guys are just not going to be there with us anymore <clears throat> so another thing too for the first time I've ever heard of this Rory McDonald uh, mentioned in that interview that the bonuses, the backroom locker bonuses that they talk about all the time that are so good and uh, they're mentioned by the Fertitas and Dana White all the time when anybody complains about fighter pay. Well, these guys get bonuses. But that now there's these bonuses are being used as a bargaining chip. And Rory actually said, you know, well, you know, they're basically saying that to some of these guys that yeah, you might get a bonus uh, if you sign on for this amount per fight. But, you know, if you're asking for more, we're, you're not going to be getting those bonuses. So before, before they're even, you know, uh, getting to the fight card where you would deserve a bonus for your performance, they're telling you you're just not going to get it. If you don't sign on the dotted line, the contract that we want you to sign. That, to me, is like borderline racketeering. <laughs> it's just fraudulent to me how they could get away with that so that's one of, another one of those reasons why I think they got rid of Ariel because they're afraid of that stuff getting out and uh, now that guys aren't afraid to speak out that stuff is going to get out um, but I, I don't think I've ever seen before too at the same point that that mentality starting to get through to the fans because usually uh, especially like even a year or two ago when you would raise this argument on any forum or the underground or sure dog anywhere in the mixed martial arts community you'd get nine out of ten people blasting you for saying the guy didn't work hard enough to make the money he wants and nowadays so many big name fighters are speaking out and saying something and getting in an uproar that the fans are starting to clue in and say well maybe they're right and so a lot more fans now if you do raise that argument will support you rather than flame you, as they say, uh, for, for getting on the fighter's side. And, you know, it does kind of make some sense to have these bonuses in place. And I've always said, uh, you know, the bonus system uh, is very unfair the way it's set up. Because nine times out of ten, it's going to go to a, a main event fighter who's making enough money as it is and does not need a bonus. When uh, the more sensible thing, I think, would be to not only have main card bonuses, but have separate bonuses for the undercard or for the preliminaries. You know, who, who gets the, the three best fight of the night, performance of the night, and submission of the night should be not only the main card fighters, but there should be a separate tier for the, for the lower card. Uh, and that would give a lot of those guys incentives to put on a show, as they say, is the number one thing they're looking for guys to do. But as it is now... You know, most of the guys that are putting on a show are the guys that are in the main event already. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's just one of those things that's just starting to me to become a real issue for the UFC. And it's it's not something that's going to make them implode anytime soon. But it's going to be a slow bleed out <laughs> of the way it's going. And if they don't change something very soon on this... Uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be problematic because they're gonna start to look around and go where'd all our best guys go and Bellator is gonna be knocking on the door trying to take away their market share so 
The other thing about Bellator too that uh, that has nothing to do with the Reebok deal is they allow their fighters to do other stuff. UFC does not. Any other fighting activity that somebody wants to do in the UFC, they're going to be told no. If uh, Anderson Silva wants to fight Roy Jones Jr., it's not going to happen. Boxing match or MMA, no matter what, it's not going to happen. Unless it's in the UFC. <laughs> uh, but uh, if, a, if a Bellator guy wants to fight in K1 or do a grappling match, or I mean, even though the UFC does allow some guys to do grappling matches sometimes, if it's in their partner organization. Uh, but nine times out of ten, they're going to say no. Whereas in Bellator, it's a totally different story. Anyway, that's my soapbox time. <laughs> that's about it for us. Uh, any of you guys got any other commentary before we call it a night? I don't. Um, I, I'm not even going to see the Pacquiao fight on Saturday because i got a fundraiser I'll be attending, the one I was promoting on my um, Hank Fisco appearance. And, Rich, thank you for posting that on the site. Um, so, hopefully it's a good fight. And uh, I guess I'll watch it the following week on um, the uh, replay. Yeah, I did a great job That's on that interview, by the way. And uh, Hank, uh, Hank's got some very interesting insight into fighting. And um, I thought it was pretty classic how he said they should have put Rocky in the crouch. Uh, yeah. Maybe he doesn't yeah. realize that the reason why they chose the, the, uh, the statue like that is because that is the knockout punch that he threw on, uh, on uh, Jersey Joe. And it was, you know, the connecting of that punch that they wanted to frame in the statue rather than the build-up yeah. to it. <laughs> but he did spend most of his career in that crouch, so it is an interesting point. <laughs> well, that's cool. But we'd love to get him on the show and talk with him. And um, Well, I'll see him on Saturday, and then um, i got to talk to him again about when I'm going to book my second appearance on the show. Cool. And we do have another well, boxer in the works for next week. Looking at uh, Melinda Cooper. We keep playing email okay. tag, but it seems like she checks her email once a week. So she's not okay. like me. But she gave me her number in the last one, so I'm going to call her up uh, probably tomorrow and see if we can set her up for next week. But uh, she's a great female boxer, and uh, she's out there in Vegas. So she's in, she's in the hotbed of the, the combat sports industry, and uh, she's probably going to be a great interview and have a lot of good stuff to say about uh, boxing. Okay. That sounds good. All right, guys. Well, Do it up next week. Enjoy the weekend. All right. Well, until next week, hasta la vista, baby. Adios.